0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to episode 13 of the Doers and Shakers podcast. It's been a hot minute since I've been in my little bubble recording an episode, but today I'm packing the heat. I've got Dave Gutter with me on this episode. Dave Gutter is the front man of Paranoid Social Club, Rustic Overtones, Armies, much more. He's a singer, songwriter, composer, and producer Who, in this episode, unpacks what it's like living in the music world, growing in the music industry, just being an all-around doers and shakers, paving the way and creating artistry, and speaking truthfully from what he wants to do with the world and his legacy. And it's a pretty incredible episode. In True Doers and Shakers fashion, we pick apart the creative process. And he gives a little advice and speaks to all of us about if you're wanting to chase that dream, start that business, grow the business, become an artist, expand as an artist, whatever it might be that you're wanting and needing. He touches on what it takes and what truly matters. So get excited, get stoked. Thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys. As promised, I'm hanging out with Dave Gutter, front man of Rustic Overtones, Armies, and Paranoid Social Club. He's a singer, songwriter, composer, and performer. Just a downright cool dude interesting and packed with so much magic. I'm really excited today to dig deep into uh, not only past projects that he's worked on, but a lot of really exciting current projects that he's got up his sleeve. And in true Durers and Shakers fashion, we will pull back the onion, all the layers, what it's like to be a performer in the limelight, what his creative process is, and just any other Intimate, gory details of what it's like to be a doer and shaker. So, without further ado, what's up, Dave? How you doing? Hey, thanks so much for being here today. I'm like over the moon excited to talk to you, so I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, that's great. Uh, I am also excited to be on here too. Um, I was, uh, I checked out uh, when you talked to Spos, a good friend of mine, and then I was very jealous. I was like, when I get a release. I'm gonna talk on this podcast too, and I was like almost typing to ask like, "Hey, can I come on your podcast to promote my new shit?" And then you uh, messaged me, so it was serendipitous, and I was very psyched. Um, you know, to have a, an outlet to talk about music because it's like my favorite thing to talk about. Oh, not just not just me, just music in general.
0: <laughs> mm, for sure, for sure. Well, I am. I mean that means the world to me to hear that. And thanks for listening and checking out my episode with Spose. That was a great episode. And uh, you've definitely been on the list since I launched Doers and Shakers. You were on my list. I've been following you since, I don't know, I was like 12 and skipping class to smoke weed and listen to Paranoid Social Club. Sorry, mom. (laughs) Uh, So that makes me really stoked to hear that. And uh, so here we are. We are here. It's a moment. The universe has brought us together. And let's get into it. I'm ready. All right. So, like I mentioned, singer, songwriter, composer, and performer, and currently about to release and drop a new visual album Monday, the 13th, which is super, super fast. And we're gonna get into all that. But before we do, I feel like we have to set the stage. We have to let the listeners know who are who are lovers of Dave of Goddard and just remind everyone what you've been up to. Maine is proud. Like you've done some pretty gritty things that are outrageous and beautiful with so much gumption. And a few of those things mean, you know, working with Clive Davis, who if, you know, if you're listening and are not familiar, you've probably heard the name. He's a Grammy award-winning producer who's worked with Janis Joplin, Bruce Springsteen, Whitney Houston, so on. Uh, Talk to us about that. talk to us about how that how you took liftoff with all that and how you got started.
1: um well the the liftoff from there was we had a, we had a manager we we play, played music since we were like ten years old, like trying to get gigs in bars. Our parents were totally fine with like okay, we'll drop our kids off at this bar for the Saturday evening and we would do gigs um, and A bar owner that um, we played at his club often um, in Portland, his name was Bill Beasley. He was like, I'm selling my bar and I'm going to manage you guys and I'm going to get you a record deal no matter what it takes. And he literally did that. Um, But, you know, there there was a lot of like um, transgressive uh, behavior um, that now, is kind of like the way you do business, uh, in the music industry, but he used to do things like, uh, we'd have a showcase in New York city and we would have, he would hire like, you know, models to show up at our show. And part of their job was to know the words, to the chorus, to the hit song that we were pushing to the label. And, um, he would bust down people from Maine. Uh, so anyone from around here, um, we had this like really high energetic live show. Uh, so he would bust our fans from here down to New York city and mixed with the people that he hired and the labels that he swindled to come out to this event. Um, we got in front of like every, you know, major rec- record exec and it was a really good look because it looked as though we were like selling out Mercury lounge in, in New York. And there was just, these brabbing his fans. Um, And he did lots of underhanded stuff like that. You know, he like um, had a street team of people that called in radio stations so that uh, our song would be number one on the radio station. He would go buy back uh, albums from the stores with the street teams so that the sound scan would show that we charted higher. Um, And this was unbeknownst to the people in the band, the musicians in the band. We all thought we were just killing it. And it wasn't until later that this kind of curtain pulled back and we were like, oh wow. So if if nothing else, when you talk about like the gritty and the taking chances and everything, and especially with Clive Davis, when you find out that you've been positioned to be where you are, uh, you you know, you wanna you want to overcome that and you want to uh, transcend. That experience and the whole music industry, because like the music industry is shady, and and if our manager just played a game that was being played, he just joined in and played the game and got us there. But once when we started meeting with Clive Davis, and you know we did a showcase and we were pretty much signed, you know, an hour after we did the showcase, uh, it was it was all he was into us right away. It was really great. Um, but the, but the problem was, is we, especially me, <laughs> had this mentality that, all right, now I have this voice that is gonna reach everywhere. I could do whatever I want with this. Um, and writing a pop hit was the last thing I would ever do. And especially from that era, um, a lot of bands tarnished themselves by making stupid songs and they could make, you know, uh, their grand opus that's, uh, you know, now it could be better than Radiohead. It's the most amazing thing, but you don't really care what like semi-sonic is doing or like better than Ezra, like, you know, like all those bands from back then, they were very disposable. Uh, and we didn't want to be disposable. We wanted to have a long career, um, the chameleon part of like changing our sound all the time was exciting to us Uh, as we got into the industry. The upside is you get to work with other people and collab with these crazy musicians and you get to work with producers. So like to us, it's like, all right, legendary status. Here we go. This is what, this is our chance to do it. And to them, they're like, let's make, you know, a, a few million dollars and um, you know, we honestly never, um, we just, me and Clive Davis had a horrible relationship. Uh, every meeting was, was him talking about uh, making us sound like Dave Matthews and me just getting very insulted, talking. I was, I was on this thing, which is funny because it's exactly what I've, I've been doing, um, is I was talking about a concept album. And I was like, "What if it's it's a concept album that all is about one thing, and it means something, and it relates to people because you just send this message home and you tell the story." And uh, he was, be quiet, Liz. That's my dog, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, and he was he was very like against that idea, and I was very against, you know, his like vision for what was rustic overtones, which was a very you know marketable safe thing uh and that was the opposite of what i was trying to do so um working with clive davis is an interesting mm-hmm. phrase because i never really worked with him mm-hmm. um he signed me but i was dragging my heels the whole way we did a showcase um i know you you kind of leaked in um some of the promo for this about um us hanging out with TLC.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> the
1: night that we, that we met them and a whole bunch of other musicians was this big uh, conference, music conference in, in San Diego. And we had to play for like everybody in the industry. Like, And they had been there for like all day watching these showcases. And everything was R&B, everything was smooth. It was, uh, you know, LaFace, Face, Baby Face's label. And, uh Diddy's label and it was just everything under Arista we were a a new um rock department that that Clive had started but there really wasn't much for rock on the roster so he made us this set list of all this like really safe laid-back tunes that we had in in our repertoire and we I say we, but I really mean we like, yes, in French, Dave did it. Uh, I ripped up the set list and made like the most hard set list I could possibly make because I was like, (laughs) no, this is what he thinks defines us. No, this is what defines us um, is when we go to this place, Um, which, you know, the cool thing with Rustic is we went to all kinds of different places, but, um, you know, for this particular thing, I was very insulted. He told me to play my own songs in a certain way, but Mm. So that 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 was another big argument, but we often uh, would have these meetings and they would not go well at all.
0: Well, I respect that you still upheld who you were and who Rustic was. And I, I think that's such an amazing story about like, cool, I see this set list and you're this big guy, but this is actually what we're going to do because this is what we're feeling. And that is I mean, hats off to you. I think that that sums up your character right there as a musician, as an artist, as a human. I think that's great.
1: And, and Clive did have our back at the label. Uh, he definitely championed around us and uh, got us to meet lots of people and go on some great tours. My dog's, my dog's playing the piano.
0: <laughs>
1: and she has to go and go to the bathroom. I'm gonna, can I just run her out to the porch?
0: Oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. All right, guys, Dave's going to run out to the porch with his dog. And I just want to say that I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited listening. And I can't wait to talk and pick his brain about his collab with David Bowie as well. There's an interesting story about that. And there is also stories that we're going to get into about his current stuff that makes me feel so privileged, honored to be speaking to such an incredible human being that is going to release a concept concept album on September 13th that I think will blow your minds I've now watched and listened okay. to it like 10 times and it is outstanding so when he comes back we're definitely going to dig we're into back. that concept album hey you're back all right the pup is let loose I was just letting the listeners know about how incredible the concept album is like I'm over the moon excited so oh, cool. um yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, you, know, you were working with such an outstanding person in the industry. And even though you know, he was gonna lead you and take off and do all these things, you were still like, no, I'm, I'm Dave, I'm from Maine, I still know what I want and I'm rooted. And I think that is, um, that's a tremendous feat to do as an artist. Because I think a lot of people could easily sell out and just you know, follow the train wherever it's gonna take them as long as it leads to fame.
1: Right, well, we, we all, I mean, myself, my roots, are in like punk rock which was like when I was super young it was like the DIY stuff was the super authentic stuff and the bands the punk rock bands that had their own labels and all that stuff they were the coolest ones Uh, and the more obscure the better so it's a it's a weird dynamic to take that and then try to blend it with people in New York City trying to make money Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? So I was, I was very adverse to that. Although now, you know, I love money. I don't, I think it was a <laughs> thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the phases of life. We do so many different things at different phases in our life. Sometimes we look back and we're like, oh, I could have done this and that. Uh, but you know, it's all for, it's, it's all for something that leads you where you are now. And, and I'm sure that the, the person that you are now, the artist that you are now, do you think you would have done anything differently?
1: Well, I don't like to do anything that sounds forced.
0: Mm, so as yeah.
1: soon as as soon as there's some sort of uh, like, and it, it's not the same as a collaboration with uh, a musician, but when you have people that are trying to sell your music, trying to convey what they want out of it, it starts to make everything feel weird and forced. It's like I don't I don't know I, I can't think of a metaphor, but it's just weird to have. Uh, criticism on a song, like I, I don't know, it's just, it's just like it's it's too mushy, or like they they have like weird adjectives to describe music, and you can't really communicate with someone in the industry unless they're a musician. Uh, the same way that you do with the producer of the album in the studio and and the other musicians, you guys to kind of have a language about the music, and you might even have a language for that particular album. Uh, that you're working on, that everybody knows. And when someone interjects themselves into that, it just makes it kind of like weird. And you, you feel like they're kind of extracted from the experience you're going through.
0: Mm. I love the way you just described that. And on the outside of things, just like speaking creatively and freely uh, to relate, it's, it's, you know, I talk a lot about what the Doers and Shakers platform is working from a place of inspired action and instead of forced action and a lot of you know external things come into play when you're in the creative realm whether it's music or art or photography no matter what you're doing and when you get into something that is so honed in that is coming from you and coming from your soul and you're and you're trying to produce something and put it out there when people try to put their mark on it and it's completely unrelated to whether it's the theme, the idea, or even the the energy, the vibrational energy of what's happening, um, it does take form in a different action. And I can imagine the world that you were in then, and even probably now, um, that can happen a lot. And it's probably very important as an artist to protect your bubble, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, But what I ended up finding um, was, over time, I became more malleable, but became more versatile at doing so. So, mm-hmm. I, I instead of being like I probably, if I was in a position where I was then now, like so, Clive Davis was ousted from Arista because of his contract. Um, there was like a clause in it about his age, and he couldn't be the president. So all of a sudden, one day, he wasn't the president. Um, and L.A. Reed was the president, and he didn't really care about this, you know, developing rock department that, that Clive had a vision for. So now if I had that that switch happen, what I would do is I would be trying to collaborate and and learn from the r and artists and the hip hop artists. I mean, not, not that I didn't do that then, but I would try to be more malleable as an artist and do the stuff that was um, like popular, but still like work hard to make it timeless and work hard to make it, you know, um, maybe a little bit like, you know, just as smart and as good and like to satisfy myself and to satisfy somebody else who has their own idea of what's going on. Um, I think these days, especially since I've become a songwriter, you know, I've had to be very, flexible in what where I'm willing to take the song and if it goes a different way that maybe wasn't the way I intended now I'm just less stubborn and will be like all right I'm gonna make the most of this and get into this vibe of the song you know what I mean
0: Mm, I love that do you think that comes with age and experience and time passing or do you think that now you're just more open you know, worldly in the music industry, instead of, you know, back then when you felt like you were like maybe more in like a shell and you were gonna do things a very certain way, uh, you know, what what do you think that change has come from?
1: Well, well, back then very much, uh, I was selling myself, only myself, Mm. Uh, everything that was associated with my songs was my face, was my image in the video, my name. Um, With songwriting, You know, I'm separated from that um, and I'm selling songs. I'm not selling me, I'm selling songs and I'm selling a sound or if I'm a producer. Um, So that needs to be just a creature that I conjure out of whatever that is something that's all its own thing. And it doesn't have to be attached to me. It's not like, this is who I am. This is who this person is that I'm working with. so it, it's a little easier to uh, express. You can you can look at someone else and size them up. It might take you a few seconds. And then you look in the mirror and size yourself up. You could be there for hours and days oh and be like, oh God. my God, existential crisis. But you don't have <laughs> that you for other people and you kind of uh, do things, um, you know, with them in mind instead of yourself. So, you know, even though it seems righteous. Uh, I think I was kind of like a very selfish writer uh, back then. when We went through all that stuff with Aristotle.
0: Mm. And so, does that I, we have to we have to talk about this because I know you've been asked a few times though. And is that let's let's just talk about the time that there was a situation that you were not happy about, and pretty much a big fuck you came out of. Peeing on something and letting it on fire and sending it back. So we have I have to know about this situation because, well, and not just because it's like it sounds, you know, like you know, you did something really intense and you stood up for yourself. But I do feel like it's very relevant in the world even today, where like you have to set a statement if something is not aligning and driving with like your your mission.
1: Well, uh, that story is completely untrue. The true story. <laughs> Because what you said is, you know, we pee on something and set it on fire. Um, once you pee on something, it's totally saturated with <laughs> the urine of the entire band, it is no longer flammable. <laughs> so, um, what we did is we lit uh, a, a remix that they had, they had sent us a remix um, that was essentially like trying to make me a pop star and kind of like dissing the band by like putting lots of uh produced you know uh, our drums weren't there they were like drum machine drums which i love drum machine drums but uh not really for what they sent back and and they took away our horns and they replaced them with synthesizers and everyone was very Ugh. it was a very jarring mix it was very drastic and we we videotaped ourselves uh, setting it on fire. And then one person went over and just started peeing on it. Uh, And then (laughs) kind of went over and peed on it and then sent that back. Cause you had to, we had snail mail. We couldn't just like, (laughs) just like, you know, Gmail something like, hey, yo, fuck you. I hate the mix, do it again. We had to like videotape it and then mail the videotape to New York.
0: So, wow. like, we're really
1: invested. this. This isn't just like a fleeting internet moment, you know. This is like we really were invested in uh, this statement to them.
0: Well, thank you for clearing that up. I just, I went in this little, like, I went down this rabbit rude. hole of, like, you know, research and all these things that I do every time I do an interview, and I came across a few different written pieces about it. I'm like, I'm just going to ask you myself because I have to hear about this story.
1: <laughs> so rude, huh? Ugh. Oh,
0: my goodness. My goodness. i mm. You just made a really interesting comment. And it's like, it was on my notes that I was going to talk about a little bit, but it's like, perfect. Let's slide it in right now. You mentioned snail mail and like things weren't like fast and like popping up on the internet. What is it like living in the world that we're in today with social media and the internet and YouTube and all this like things, all these things that you can just make happen within, a, you know, in a second compared to back when you were doing. Very large things, but in a much different fashion, like on a marketing standpoint, and and all of it. Like, what what are some things that you feel and have gone through with that?
1: Oh, uh, there's been like some crazy changes, and I would I'd have to say for the most part, I'm not one of the like musicians that's been around through all these changes and still on to the old ways. Because I think that there are some, you know, it even goes way older than you know our technology but we've we've had a lot of advancement in the last probably like two decades so we were kind of like right in the middle of that but yeah when we you know at first it was like oh there's social media so that means I don't have to take a backpack full of flyers and a stable gun and like run around <laughs> every post board in town and my manager's gonna yell at me No, oh, that's great I love social media let's go and then but then there's like the contrast with uh, when we worked on Viva Nueva with Imogen Heap. Um, we had toured, uh, Imogen Heap toured the U.S. Her first two U.S. tours were opening for Rustic and we became very good friends. Um, and when we did the collab with her, we had to mail like uh, like two inch tape, like in, in those metal things and inside a box to be safe and they weighed so much and we had to send like so many tapes so it was like mad expensive and then <laughs> she double that many tapes uh back to the U.S. um and it was all very nerve-wracking because you know um it was it was the tape it was not digital and you know there's there's all kinds of stuff like that but I think of you know recalling uh, a mix, like you wanna, you want a vocal up or a vocal down or something slightly changed. It's like, you have to book a whole other day in the studio and start all over again. Whereas now your session is just there the way it was. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things I love, I love. Um, Airdrop is still like magic to me, like every time <laughs> it happens. I know. So like will get a magic trick and like um, sent this like, you know, my 17 minute, uh, visual album I was like oh there's no way this is going to airdrop to my phone and boom it's there I was like wow yeah yeah, um I I think technology is a great thing and I'm constantly uh uh, you know trying to use all the new stuff wrap my head around all the new stuff because ultimately um you know if nothing else the the gen z right now are they've invented the life hack and it's like a shortcut, an easier way to do something uh, than we did it before. And I'm not. Who am I to go kicking and screaming into this uh, era of luxury and, and you know making everything easier? So um, you know, from from marketing to collaborating with people, um, you know, it's a it's a way different place. It's more oversaturated, but it's very much back to the thing that i was talking about with the diy punk bands that's where it's back to now it's not if you're on a label that's what it used to be like in you know the 90s if you're in a band people would be like oh you're in a band and you signed mm. and that was it that was like the gauge uh, of if you were successful or you're a real band or you're professional you're not professional um, and now it's like oh do you do you own your own label if you own your own publishing, you know, um, so the less uh, you are kind of a, a slave to the the corporate label side, uh, the better. And even the labels want that. They want you to do everything. And then they come in at the end and kind of take what you've already done. You already have, you know, a million views or a million whatever. Um, and they maybe just base it kind of on numbers and so yeah, I mean, technology has been insanely different, and I—it's kind of sad that CDs are gone because we still have like twelve thousand CDs in a warehouse. Um, but oh. we'll find something. We should recycle them into something.
0: You should, you should. And I think, I think CDs will eventually come back. And I, I fight with people about this all the time. Like I currently have arguments about it with my boyfriend because I still buy CDs. I want CDs. I have CDs that like, if I take a sharp turn, they go flying. Like my car still has CDs. I'm, i have that a CD player in your car. Yes, I do. And I will, uh, I will not have a car without a CD player because I'm the type of person I don't like, I grew up with a musician too. My dad was he was into music and I was in diapers, like listening to Bob Dylan, like running around, just like understanding music before I understood anything. And I never forgot. He always said, you know, you you have to listen because I would float around. I'd listen to like song number seven and then song number two. And then I'd flip back and all these things. And he'd always say, we have to start it from song one and we have to listen to every single song. And I'd be like, well, I don't like number nine or number five. And he'd say, it doesn't matter. You have to hear the song all the way through and then you have to hear all the songs back to back because they are together for a reason. Most artists do that and he taught me that and I've never ever, now to this day, like I love to hear a CD from beginning to end because I feel like, and I mean, obviously, you know, I'm speaking to you and and you're, you know, you get what I'm talking about, but I tell people this theory about why I love CDs and why I want them to like hear the first song to the last song in order and they're like, wait, what? Like, no, we can just download this one song on Spotify and we don't have to get the whole album. And and to me, it's like, you have to have the whole, the whole album if it's available because it says so much. And I don't know if that's because like, I feel I play around in the creative realm and like, I understand there's so many moving parts. It's not just this one song you heard on the radio. Um, so yeah, long, long-winded long answer there, but I love CDs.
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's one criticism I would have of, the the current technology or the current paradigm of music listening is the singles thing where people just put out singles and it's not as much about a whole album or expression. Um, At least in the pop world, there are people still making conceptual albums from beginning to end that are amazing. And that's how they're supposed to be listened to, but Mm. it's a much more uh, like romantic relationship you have with a record when the way the songs interact with each other also sparks something that makes you, uh, understand it differently or whatever. Uh, although, you know, there were, I don't miss the throwaway tunes.
0: Yeah, There's always
1: like two songs on like even the best album yeah. of all time. There's always like two songs that you could tell that they were kind of just like throwing it together. Those yeah. are actually working the way out. So if we get, play the singles game that people are playing now. And then, you know, maybe even vinyl comes back more or maybe the streaming that streams continuous albums, you know, like as a thing, you know, um, that would be the perfect combination. Cause we get rid of those, like, you know, the old Rolling Stones albums where there'd just be like a blues boogie woogie for 10 minutes. So yeah. Like all a this. filler. I'm yeah. All, yeah. Like I'm all upset with that. <laughs> Get rid of those and they just have all these albums of just hit songs would be great.
0: Yeah. That's why I miss, you know, we used to burn CDs and we used to like create our own CD from beginning to end. Of course they were different artists or whatever, but like we created a whole vibe, you know, like breakup CDs and like BFF CDs. And like, so you got to choose like all the different songs. There's no fillers. And you knew that like from beginning to end, you were going to love all those songs. I don't know. Now I'm reminiscing and I want to burn a CD, but
1: (laughs) Rustic uh, did um, a box set called the Mood Box, where we just took all the music from all our whole career and put them together in like, they, these are all on the same mood and these are all in the same mood because Rustic route Records used to be like, they're like very, very all over the place. They're very scatterbrained, you uh, know, go from like a, a ballad to some like super hyper loud thing and then to something dancey. Uh, and we did that on purpose. But um, it was, it was kind of cool making those like old school mixtapes out of our songs and seeing that, you know, we kind of go to this kind of place, you know, every time and we got to kind of go to this place every time and, you know, separating like that was was cool too.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that concept. All right. So I want wanna to, I want to shift onto what you're currently working on, but we can't, we can't skip this one little beat. And that is. David Bowie, I know everyone asks you, but I have to ask you because I want to talk about it. Talk to us about what it was like working in a warehouse <laughs> and, and also doing things with David Bowie.
1: Um, it, first of all, like I love to talk about <laughs> uh, working with David Bowie and spending time with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still like a dream. Uh, it, it was insane that it happened. And it was, it was such a fluke that it happened because, um, well, we attended a, uh, a interview for Rockline that David Bowie did. And we went with him uh, to the Museum of Rock and Roll in New York City. And we were like his guests. And he walked us around. I uh, met Joey Ramone. And then, and like all oh, kinds of crazy. what? Yeah, David Bowie introduced me to Joey Ramone. That was kind of a magical moment.
0: How did you, okay, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) How did you react?
1: Uh, I was just um, trying to be cool. Like just (laughs) in my head, just be cool, be cool, be cool, be cool. Um, I'm still like super starstruck when I get around anyone that I really like their music. Um, Even someone like my friends, like I'll just get this like rush of energy because of what, I know they can do, you know what I mean? Um, Uh. But um, I forget the question. I I think the question was just David Bowie, question mark, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And then, okay, so then he introduced you and you were trying to be cool. Oh, yeah.
1: So, yeah, I got it. So he was (laughs) talking about, he was talking about, someone was like, so tell us a little bit about the collaborations you've done over the years. And he just starts going, uh, he starts listing them listing them off and he's like queen you know being freddie mercury did under pressure and he's talking about mick jagger and he's talking about um lou reed and Iggy pop and john lennon and then in the same conversation uh he says and obviously trent reznor um more current currently at that time uh and then he says us And just like such a weird thing to be like, all right, I'm standing here. Joey Ramone's next to me. Bowie's up there talking about my band from Maine and John Lennon and Queen. (laughs) And like it was like it was insane. Um, And honestly, like this, like he just like slingshotted my career to like not not to success, but to be infinite because there's not a day I will ever wake up ever in my life and think that I wasn't supposed to do music because David Bowie liked <laughs> like my music you know what I mean like yeah. David Bowie like gave me the cosign, and that honestly like from a motivational point uh has like never left I've just been like this is what I do and never gonna you know I'm never gonna stop doing it because of that faith that, that he put in the music and the interest that he took in the music. And, you know, um, so, you know, that was a, a really, really uh, amazing experience. He was way more down to earth than we expected. Um, a lot of the real science fiction, like glam, uh, you know, non-binary characters that he created uh, were, just characters there were there were things that he imagined and when he was just hanging out with you he was there imagining what you're trying to come up with and he's trying to you know do your vision and you know that's you know that could have also been a turning point in um, my attitude towards you know um you know kind of like I'm doing it this way this is my thing this is my art don't mess with it And then when you can let someone in like David Bowie and then you're like, oh yeah, mess with it, please. Yeah, (laughs) Mess with my music, do whatever you want with my music. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, that kind of changed my perspective on everything too. But um, yeah, it was, it was really, it gave me a lot of perspective on what it's like to be like a super great artist. Like in that time we'd been doing a lot of like, we'd be opening for bands that were like big in the nineties and a lot of them uh, were like really like pretentious and they weren't nice and stuff. And then we met Bowie and he was like completely just a regular guy. And we realized like, Oh, that's, that's the way that the, uh, the flash in the pan fleeting talent, that's the way they act. But when you're a true consummate professional, you, you, you'd carry yourself like this and you approach music with this kind of attitude. So um, we, you know, that that kind of like took the chip off my shoulder a little bit that I had as like an angsty skateboarding kid. Um, and yeah, it was the best experience ever.
0: <laughs> it sounds amazing. It sounds like something you can't even describe, obviously magic fire. And just, it sounds like he just like reached in you and pulled out this like, insane amount of uh you know you were mentioning you had a chip on your shoulder and and that you were this and you didn't eat anything else and you pulled that out and almost like made room for like all sorts of things to come into you and opened your eyes to like what it can really be like
1: yes like when you
0: you just talking now it's like I had this visual of like that just happening and that's I mean it's thank you for sharing that experience with us like that's that's amazing. I think that's like these, these moments, no matter what like world you're in or, or expertise you're in or creative realm you're in. I feel like we all every now and then step into these moments where it's like almost unbelievable. And we step out of our own bodies in, and we can either like choose to see and feel and hear and smell and all the senses at once bring that moment in, or we can be naive and blind to it. And it's the people that allow all of that in and soak it all up that go to the next level and fly and, and get opened up to different realms. And I feel like from just the past couple of days, like re- researching you and following you and, and stalking your social media and just prepping for this, this hang session, I got so many different colorful, colorful like vibes from you, just like things that you've done as a, as a person, seeing you as a parent, seeing you in different bands, watching this, this visual album, uh, I, I just feel like you're that type of person that could lend so much to so many people. And to me, a person like that is just worth so much. And so that's one of the reasons that I am so excited that you're on the podcast, because I can bring people on as much as I want but it's very important to me to talk to people and have these conversations about what it's like to be a doer and a shaker in this world, to to, to set the foundation and lay the platform of creatives. And now I'm just rambling, but- oh, that's cool. That's I'm, cool. Yeah, no, what I'm trying to say is I just, I feel, I almost feel your creative process just from all the things that you've put out there. And like, to me, those are the type of people that are just so- profound and interesting and like I know you know I'm sure the people around you see this and it, it might be hard for you on days to like see that but I do believe that like you're one of the David Bowies in the sense that like when people hear about you or see anything that you've touched or that you do or when you're on stage like you give off that energy and I know people have probably told you how amazing you are and how great you are but like I've seen so much out of you the past couple of days that like screams true artistry, and oh, I just wanted to tell you that. So,
1: well, you have oh, to change. It. It's, been, it's been a long time. I mean, I don't know if like people that are listening can kind of like gauge, but like I've been doing music for like thirty years. Yeah. So it's you know you have to um, if you're not interested in. The artistry side of it, I, I don't think that you generally can do music this long. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, and then, and I felt like what really like the light bulb for me was, you know, listening to since I was younger and listening to Paranoid Social Club and then like throughout the things, listening to rustic overtones and loving, you know, the horns and the trumpets and all the different things that come with rustic. But then, like, you know, listening to you do something with, you know, Spose, uh, or I saw you live, oh gosh, I don't know, probably three years ago now, COVID is like sucked time, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it was in Maine, some festival, uh, you went on stage, I believe Spose was there, you know, the Mallard Brothers did a set, just a ton of bands for a couple of days in like the small town in like a banquet hall almost, like a,
1: oh yeah, uh, in All Roads Music Festival.
0: Yes, yes, okay, so that was like my first time seeing you live. And so I've, you know, listened to you and seen all these different things that you've done and on to all these different CDs, whatever, but then like seeing you live and watching you perform with different artists that day. And like, you pulled all these different hats, like you were, you did like multiple things that day. I was like, I remember getting in the car and just being like, Holy shit. Like, what was that? Like, I, when I like see something that really just like, I can wholeheartedly feel it with my entire being. Like, I just wanna talk about it clearly cause I'm like going off the rails right now. But um, I remember that specifically about you performing. And um, I just think that that is so underrated and people don't talk about that enough. Like the nitty grit of what an artist can actually do. And I th- what I think makes a true artist is when they can be put in any situation and make you feel something like shake you and make you see what they're doing. And well, you obviously do that. So that was just a cool experience.
1: Yeah. That, that year, I remember, uh, the promoter, we had the conversation before, like, oh, geez, like we've booked all these shows. And now I realize that I'm playing like four or five times that day. Um, and I was like, Hmm, is that too much? (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) He was like, "Uh, no, I don't think it'll be too much. Let's do it." But I remember (laughs) after that day being like, "Wow, I just did a lot of sets. (laughs) I even did some people. I didn't like announce like I ran over and did a set with like Shane Rise in a church, uh, real (laughs) quick, and then came back and did Armies, did Spose, and I think we we Paranoid Social Club too."
0: yeah that was a wild day that was such an amazing festival armies was cool too i enjoyed that that was also my first time seeing all of that and that was pretty great so um so much fun that day and uh so let's okay i feel like this is the perfect time to talk about this concept album because this like shines through as to all the different layers that you have so uh september 13th right you're dropping the concept concept album i've been here a while and basically you had said you made one long video for every song on the album, right? About getting old. Yep. Talk to us. I just want to hear. I want to hear all the things.
1: Okay. Um well I I got uh March 18th of last year or of this year, um, I got uh COVID. Mm. And I was quarantined in my daughter's bedroom. She was not in there. <laughs> and I was by myself in this little room, and I just had an acoustic guitar. Uh, and my laptop. And, uh, I was feeling fine. You know, like I had, I had a little, uh, a few days where we were really like, like tough with fever and everything, but, um, you know, I was okay. And then people started calling me that were like from my childhood and be like, Hey man, I just wanted to call and say that, you know, we're all real. We've always been real proud of you. and, and, thought you were always a great guy and I'd be like what the fuck like I'm gonna gonna die like these people are calling me they're giving me like flowers before I'm dead and so I was like I, I really started like thinking about the perception of an artist and a perception of me and being old and getting old and how I want to represent that and also make my first like solo thing. Um, And I just wanted it to be like really honest that I started thinking about this concept of an album where like my my license is in the video with like my my weight and my age. And you know, it's all like right out there and not this thing like where people are trying to perfect their lives uh, through video and photograph. Um, on social media. So I thought it would be a really honest thing to just be like, uh, I'm old, I write, and I'm gonna try to entertain you for like 17 minutes. Mm. And my friend, Matt Giard, uh, used to go by Shanghai who helped me in the video. Um, Like the day before I was like, oh man, I don't know. I've like made these like five different, like, you know, like childlike sets. And I'm gonna just go through for like 17 minutes and just, uh, what do I do? I'm like, am I deadpan? Am I I serious? Am I acting? And Matt was just like, you just need to look like you're trying. And I was like, you're right. I just need to look like I'm trying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also there's there's a part of me that, um, the lyrical part of me, like when I get around, um, you know, my close friends and my musician friends Um, I'm always um, showing them new song lyrics I'm really excited about. And when I do that, I'm often like um, painting a picture for them. Uh, I'm like singing along to the lyrics and showing them each line and the metaphors and pointing them out. And I was like, I should just do that kind of for my video and just put the lyrics as the centerpiece and really just lay it out there uh, as honestly as possible. Um, and I, it was super fun to do. It it was very scary to do all this, especially since it's my first solo thing. Like literally these are kind of like the first songs that I've written just me. Like if you go through my publishing catalog is super, super long, but there's no song that it's not Dave gutter and somebody else writing it together. Mm -hmm. um or playing on it or producing it so it's the first time i've done that and uh it is easy to hide behind a wall of like you know seven guys in a band a horn section some strings or whatever you know we we would do Um, and i and i realized a little bit that some of the songs throughout the years have maybe we're we're hiding behind a lot of like big sonic production and it's again like stripping myself of that, that punk rock and getting as much to uh, like the, uh, the more, the intimate side of uh, expression. So that's, that was the idea behind the concept album. Uh, I wanted to make songs that were just like the self-deprecating, like the humility of getting older, uh, you know, no, no Photoshop, no filter kind of vibe, you know?
0: Yeah. I, it was outstanding. Like, I I can't, I know I can't really like talk about it or anything and I appreciate
1: Spoiler alert, go ahead.
0: Spoiler alert, okay. Can I just say part two, the poet was my favorite. Like, Um. it's genius. The way you use like error and error, like the, like, (laughs) back to back and like the mirror and the juxtaposition between like the two meanings, but like the intellectual thing that you can pull from that. And like, just this, there's, I don't, can I say like my favorite lyrics from that one or is that too much?
1: No, go ahead, go ahead. All right,
0: I love the part where you write like the cemetery of Mona Lisa and the madness of Vincent van Gogh and the devil that hides in the details when the Vatican city is closed. Like I, I was like, wait, what? <clears throat> I loved that. <laughs> I just the whole thing was the whole thing was outstanding and I'm really excited for people to get their hands on it. And uh I don't know, for some reason, just like part two was my favorite. They were all my favorite, but I feel
1: like there's a good story behind part two.
0: Yeah, will you tell me?
1: I approached all this stuff um when I came up with a concept, but some of the the songs had been ideas that I'd had uh started from something before. And I had talked to a guy who does like musicals on Broadway. And he talked to me about, I want to write a, a musical for Broadway with you. And so we started talking about this idea um, that I can, I think I kind of ruined it now. I, I can't, we probably can't go with, with this part of it, but um, I came up with the idea of uh, Van Gogh in modern day.
0: Mm.
1: And he is having to deal with all the the mediocrity and uh, lowbrow art of today and by today's standards and how the whole time he would just think that, you know, he was meant for another era. So, um, oh, what? so that's what we, I, that's what I started writing for the, um, for the musical about, uh, modern day Van Gogh. And then once I started writing it and, and once I thought about it, as it pertains to this album, I rewrote a lot of it but um I like that notion that there's always this kind of yearning you know if oh, if I was back in you know some time you know like if I was in the 60s and I could be jamming with you know, Pink Floyd, you know, and when they started out or anything like that, you know, you think that it would be some sort of utopia and you you hold sometimes these eras in like this really high artistic regard. Um and you maybe and find yourself like maybe art a time when art was more appreciated. Mm-hmm. You know, so um I wanted to convey that. I feel like that's very much a part of getting older is that kind of like re- like the thoughts of what could have been and, and that kind of stuff.
0: Yes, uh, I knew there had to be something to that. I was, I just felt like there was like some layers there and that's, that's so incredible. And now, now when I listen to it again, like hearing your, your pull from that, I'm gonna love it even more. I'm super stoked for everyone to hear it. Do you wanna talk a little bit about like the different parts and how you overall, like from beginning to end, um, yeah, sure. the flow of that, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's um, the the first song um is called Midlife Crisis. Um, one of my few showers during quarantine, <laughs> um, yielded Midlife Crisis. I took my crusty ass to the bathroom when no one was here, and I took a shower because I'd just been like coagulating this room with COVID, and it felt really good. And I I don't know why I just started thinking of um. Uh, Writing a song because of of those phone calls, so that's that's where midlife crisis came from, and it's it's kind of like a. It would be really bad, like if I was like a really deadbeat dad, I could make a song like that, <laughs> because it's so it's so bad. Or if I was like you know a bad partner, uh, right? You know, to my girlfriend, it wouldn't it wouldn't be cool to do a song like that. But because it's all so, uh, we're also content. I just kind of like made this alter ego me that goes off the deep end uh, and, uh, you know, I'd been there before I had, you know, gone off the deep end and been the wild, you know, old guy, but um, <laughs> it's not me now. So it's a little bit, you know, autobiographical and a little bit, just like taking it uh, a little bit extreme. Uh, and then there's the poet, um, uh, which is, was originally titled, I wasn't meant for this era, but I like the poet better because it kind of uh, conveyed that like, uh, almost that it's me. Uh, uh, that it's me that's in the wrong time. Um, And then All My Heroes Are Dead was actually, it was a Paranoid Social Club song that was, it kind of jumped around um, between that and like some other songwriting sessions I had. It was always the same chorus, but we always interchanged like what the verses were and then, and could never really decide on what the verses of this song were about. Uh, And then uh, when I started thinking about it in the context of Getting older, uh, I was like, um, you know, this is a great like letter to um, like a younger you or, or or like a younger person. It's almost like um, from the point of of a role model, but you're saying like, don't watch us. Um, it, it's like the time when when all the um, all the artists like my age were dying, like Chris Cornell and like. Um, there was that time where everyone was just dying, and then there was also like Gen Z um, rappers dying, and uh, it was just like, well, who is following who, and what's going on? Like, you know, you can't be like us, <laughs> so you guys are gonna have to do something totally new because my my generation, uh, like, we're not really good to look at for what to do. <laughs> so that's what that song's about. Um, Loser of the Year uh, was originally uh, You're the Loser of the Year. And it was um, written um, of uh, like a, a record review. I was like, I wanted to make a song. It was a record review about um, an album that I did like. And I was just going to burn the record the whole time. So the first version of that song was almost like a battle rap. And then one night when I was like, writing it, I just said, wait, I'm the loser of the year. There's nothing I can do. And I was like, oh, that, and then it turned it like really sad. And I was like, oh, well that's, you know, like the, the insecurity and the doubt and everything. Um, and talking about your your family lineage being like you never had a chance, you know, to begin with <laughs> um, that kind of thinking is, is also a very like, uh midlife is like like lots of doubt and, and i want to just put you know all that insecurity and doubt out there so that's why loser of the year was essential to kind of like the climax of this story um and then um buried alive uh, or the end <laughs> either way um is the the last song and that's a song that i did with ben's been dead um and I originally did it by myself. Then Ben's been dead, did his verse on it. And then I was like, well, you know, Ben, I think it's gonna be my solo record. It's kind of weird if I have like a, like one guest on like a five song solo record about getting old. So like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do your verse, and I'm cutting you off the song. Like, sorry, homie. <laughs> and uh, he was a little annoyed by that. And then basically, like, my family was just like. Uh, we really miss Ben's verse on that. And I was like, yeah, me too. You know, like, fuck it. And I just started to think about the juxtaposition of, um, you know, I've been working, like going on like two years, uh, with Ben's been dead, you know, um, my mid forties, he, he's in his mid twenties. Um, but like, we have this, this very clear line of, uh, communication and love for music that, um, you know, it works great together. But, the, but I was thinking like, well, that's perfect to have him um, do the verse in the song and kind of like that This was the reason why in the video his mic's not working.
0: Gotcha, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and then, uh, you know, and then Buried Alive is just about feeling like um, you're unheard or when you are heard uh, that it's not what you wanted to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love the ending song. I'm, I'm sure that you doing the whole thing was great, but I do love the part. I like how it starts with Ben's been dead. And then you come in, I feel like you guys flow well together and you have some new things that you're rolling out together too. So it kind of works with him. Yeah, we just did, being um, that.
1: I accidentally leaked. Uh, this is, this is what sucks like when you're in your twenties and you work with someone in their forties, I accidentally leaked his album title. I didn't know that no one knew his album title because we'd just been talking about it forever. <laughs> you know, we refer to it all the time. So I posted something. I was just, yeah, this is the first single off Ben's with Dead's new record, blank. And totally messed it up. But anyway, we, we worked on, uh, we did the EP. We're working on his LP. Uh, the EP is about to come out. Uh, I'm not going to say when. <laughs> mm. And then um, um, his full length album, another one of these from for me that I think Ben's probably going to work on um, that as well. And then me and Ben have had like, right after we went on tour, with we came back from that tour and made a whole album like album like 13 songs like full album. Um, and then we just been sitting on it and waiting for the right moment to put it out. But I think after we both do our solo things, um, we're probably going to drop it out uh, next year.
0: Oh, awesome! I'm excited about that.
1: It's called "Dead in the Gutter."
0: Dead in the Gutter, yeah. You guys, um, I was just watching the the video of uh, an interpretive dance and the, with the song. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And we, also, and we also have a, a, a like a web series called "The Spark." Yes, we have to talk about this. Day. We
0: have to talk about this. You, um, so it's basically you guys are smoking weed and you make a song on the spot with a guest artist.
1: Yeah. And we had we smoke a different kind of weed every time, uh, like sometimes um, like we had Spose on, and I think we had like a really like uh, the the weed that just makes you quiet mm. and uncomfortable even around like your best friend. <laughs> and we are all we are all one hundred percent best friends, me, Ben, and Spose. And we just had this really weird episode. In some episodes, we we assume that like like Matt Giard fell asleep during his episode. <laughs> Uh, like but that's again just uh, pulling the curtain back and having it be honest but you know we do come up with a a song every single episode and they're super fun and you know it's not just stoners like uh, being too Um, self-indulgent it's a pretty fun studio adventure so um, I think that's going to be dropping in October and that's called The Spark
0: so the spark, okay, and it's gonna drop around October. Are you guys gonna be launching like drop, dropping a ton of episodes at once, or just like one at a time? I think
1: we're dropping three at a time.
0: And are you gonna announce where people can find that, or is that just gonna be a YouTube thing where they can click a link from right straight from your profile and your bios?
1: Yeah, it'll probably be um, a Zero Gravity page because they're we're working with them on just getting like this uh, artist. Uh, community and all this like output um, up on their YouTube page because, you know, weed and and music go good together. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited about that. I think that's going to be a phenomenal project. And a lot of people are going to totally dig that. I feel like with this whole shift of the pandemic, more and more people want to see like the inside scoop and, like, more, like, hang sessions for things and, like, the reality of what people are really doing behind closed doors. And that it's not all, like, you know, glam and fancy. That, like, sometimes it's just about, like, smoking a joint with your best friend and seeing what happens.
1: Yeah, actually, Ben's Been Dead took me to um, Boston yesterday and we went to the Virgil Abloh uh, exhibit. Uh, Oh, you did? Um, You know, he does all the he studied at Fendi with Kanye Hmm. Um, and when Kanye started Yeezus um, and he did the cover art for Yeezus and like did a bunch of clothes for Beyonce and it was a really crazy thing to see, but it really uh, gave me a, uh, a perspective on pop culture. When you mix something like as raw as that with something like the pandemic and that effect that it has on on society and our you know, social interactions or lack of, um, I think that this is gonna be like a transitional time in art. And I think that everyone has to be like paying attention.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. I think it's gonna open a lot of doors. And I think a lot of people that wanted to step into something more creative or start a business or whatever, have been doing so. And they've also been tapping into like shit that they really are into that really matters. And I agree. I think it's going to be very important. And I think people have to pay attention. And I think we need to nurture uh, more of the things that are outside of the realm uh, that aren't necessarily typically taken on, like, especially in the business world, like more and more people as entrepreneurs and businesses are uh, latching on to artistry as a business form versus like a business having an art form. And I think that that is tremendous. And I think we're going to step into a new era. And I don't know what it's going to be called many years from now, like what this era for the art world is going to be called. Um, but I think it'll be very important.
1: Yeah, it's, it's also like so oversaturated right now. And just think of how many people decided to be artists of any kind uh, when they were forced to stay home for a year so that like already makes it even more saturated like everything if you're a visual artist you're a photographer you're a Mm. uh, model you're a musician you're an actor like whatever uh, there's so much more of everything so now we're going into a, a point where the only thing you can do is set yourself apart because there's so much stuff out there so that's a fun That's a fun thing for me because that's what I was fighting way back when we started this conversation about Clive Davis is, you know, uh, not being just another carbon copy of whatever bands are hot or whatever groups or types of music are hot, but being something, uh, you know, relevant to the time, but also timeless. Um, But I think setting yourself apart and being original, being in, uh, I'm all in for that. And I'm really looking forward to, um, I don't know, just regurgitating what uh, the world, you know, sends us.
0: Absolutely. And I, I feel like the spark is going to be a place that's going to uh, nourish and blossom something cool. It almost reminds me of like Action Bronson when they all just smoke and walk around and like see what happens. And they like go to eat food and see what yeah. comes of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a uh...
0: I'm super, super excited. So there's so many incredible things you're working on and so many things that are launching and people should be so stoked to get their hands on all these different projects. And in true Doers and Shakers fashion for this podcast, I want to close out with talking a little bit about like the nitty gritty stuff, like what it takes to truly be in your shoes, walk a mile in your shoes and step into the true artistry of what is Dave Gutter. So if you're cool with getting deep, I've got some questions.
1: Yes, I was, I was scared that what is Dave Gutter was the question. And I was I'm like, oh my God, existential crisis. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can go ahead, please shoot. I'm open to anything.
0: Oh, amazing. Okay. I, I always just feel like everyone has a different process or a different ritual that they've got going on, like whether it's internal or like external or, or something physical that they do before they're about to do something awesome so like let's just say before you're about to go on stage and do a set like what are you doing the night before
1: um well I uh, strangely get like I don't know if it's a new thing it might be a new thing since the pandemic but now I get this thing like oh my god I can't I have a show tomorrow and I'm not going to be able to do it I can't do this (laughs) <laughs> that's what i do now <laughs> and then it I, I often compare it to like getting in the shower because you're like oh i don't want to take a shower or i'm all i'll warm when i'm wet i'll be cold but then once you get in the shower you don't want to get out so it's been like that with like live shows um but normally i've like never really had stage fright my whole life yeah really? now i don't know if it's stage fright or just like uh the gigs are so few and far between that i want them to be so perfect. Um, you know, I, there's no time. Like if you're playing every night and one night, uh, the monitor doesn't work. No one can hear. It was kind of a funky night, but tomorrow night you're gonna be in this town and it's going to be back to normal. But when you're only doing like one or two gigs, it's like, nothing can go wrong. And if it does, then that like defines me for 2021. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, uh, I think that's part of the anxiety, but, um, I don't know, a typical night before a show, um. I I watch a lot of horror movies. I'm um, probably watching a horror movie or writing.
0: Yeah, horror movies. Yeah, you've got that podcast going on too. I I listened to an episode for that too the other day.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, speak all evil. That's pretty cool. People that, if you're interested in uh, in tearing apart some horror movies or some some gory details about shows or movie check out Dave's (laughs) podcast (laughs) speak all evil (laughs) um so okay so do you have like specific routines or rituals that you'll do like uh so for example for me if i've got like a big thing that i'm shooting the next day i'm like i have to be in bed by 10 o'clock and i can't eat certain things after this time or i'll have weird dreams and then i won't sleep Mm -hmm. and i get in my head so i'll do like certain things to avoid it do you do you do any like specific rituals like that like when you wake up in the morning to prep to ensure that you like are going to be your best version of yourself.
1: Um, I I don't actually.
0: Mm. I
1: have like uh, I have kind of this like as uh, expression my friend said to me and it became an army song. But like just trust the universe. Mm. Like I'm not superstitious. I I believe that everything is, uh, just laid out in a path and you just go and you just encounter it when you get there. (laughs) So uh, like, I don't really have too many rituals. A definite ritual would be coffee. (laughs) I drink a lot, a lot of coffee. And I've recently got into these cliff bars that have caffeine in them. So I don't (laughs) have regular food. I can eat food with caffeine and, (laughs) and coffee. So yeah that's that's definitely a ritual whether it's a subconscious thing at this point now i feel like um that is smoking stuff um i i smoke cigarettes unfortunately it's a really bad habit um but i want to quit but to say that it's not part of my process would be a lie i smoke uh you know weed too Mm. it's like it's like i'm constantly just trying to like even myself out i think this is like everyone's story but you know, I will drink coffee until I'm like, oh my god, I need to chill out, and then I'll smoke weed, mm-hmm. and then I'll smoke weed, and I'll be like, oh man, I'm getting kind of tired, and then I'll <laughs> and then I'll drink coffee. Uh, so you know, it's that's that's kind of like the only thing that is close to a ritual. Um, I have this, I, I kind of like have this space like right in front of my face that I stare at, um, and think about music. Uh, And conceptualize things and often my friends and and family make fun of me for this kind of like spaced out zone that I get in. (laughs) Mm.
0: So, uh,
1: you know, there's, there's that, Uh, that always happens. But uh, yeah, I try to be, try to be without too much routine.
0: Yeah. No. And I appreciate that. I love that. I love that you trust the universe and trust the process and like, what comes will come and all that stuff. I think that is very important. And I admire that about people. I'm also very intrigued now about this space that you go to, that you see. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to look for it. If I see you live again, Uh, I love that.
1: You know how those like little, like, I don't know if it's like paramecium or whatever if you look at the sun the right way you see them like swimming around in your eyeballs yeah it's like seeing those or or like moving your ears it's like no one can tell you how to do it you just have to do it yourself
0: oh my god we i feel like i could do an entire episode about this theory and go totally inward about this i like wildly know exactly what you're talking about i yeah i understand that that's really cool um Okay, next question is, what does being in the zone mean for you? Well,
1: I think refer to question A. Um, I was gonna
0: say, we now know that there's this space.
1: (laughs) No, no, being in the zone for me actually is when I get to the point where I delete things. Um, So what I'll do is I'll do an outburst of um, an idea so say maybe the, the first writing thing I'll do like the last rustic album had a song about a private detective, so I just sketched out on a piece of paper all the cliches about private detectives, uh, you know, and set the atmosphere, you know, like the foggy window, smoking trench coats, and uh, the damsel in distress, and and I write all these things down, and then I start working them into thoughts and sentences and whatever. And then I get to a point from there where I have a lot of stuff and I begin deleting. And I do the same thing with my musical process. I do a whole bunch of overdubs, too much ideas, anything I could possibly do. And then I start whittling that down to um, using things at just certain moments. So maybe not using something at all, but that made you hear something that you wouldn't have heard. So it was you know, essential to getting your vocal to be like that, you know, or something. And it's hard to explain, but it's all kind of um, a thing that one thing reacts off the other thing. And that part where it's starting to be deleted and you're starting to see the association between lines, it's a finer, it's a finer editing than what you were talking about, where you have the meaning and the, the significance of the songs together in order it's the same thing uh, as like a, an album being coherent. You want your, your line to be coherent. You want your song to be coherent and you just go down and just microscope down you know, that, that same principle and apply it to um, you know, creating something from the, from the beginning. Mm.
0: Yes, I understand that for sure. Thank you for sharing that with us. And my next question, I feel like this is just like rapid fire. Um, what would you say to people like the, the doers and the shakers of the world, the entrepreneurs that are wanting to start a business or uplevel their business, whether it is in the artistry world or you know another realm, and they're like nervous as shit, but they know they have it in them. And they are right in front of you. And they say, Dave, what do I do to get this going? What's your advice?
1: I mean, I, I feel like people um, can see things that are genuine and things that are, that are contrived and fabricated. And I think that the best way to, if you're going to make a business of you, then you have to be 100% in on that. Um, you can't be selling you as a, 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 a reflection of another artist. You need to be, you need to find, you know, exactly what is you. And, and for some people that's, you know, like, you know, sounding like Whitney Houston to other people that is having no voice at all, like Tom Waits or like mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. And But it's about what you say, like just find what like that thing Um, that you are good at, the thing that you can tirelessly do that you love, because if you're getting tired of of it, you know, it sounds like that in your music, or it reflects that way in your art, if you're, so, you know, being inspired is the main thing, like, I'm always ingesting anything and everything I can, um, any kind of art, I hate reality TV, because I feel like, I, 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 it's too, it's not like artistically done at all. It's just like a capturing of what someone else is doing out there. It's like, well, I need to be doing something. I, I need to be watching someone else do it, but, um, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm a big, you know, a big fan of like cinema and I love how like movies, uh, and, and imagery more because of like YouTube, um, it, music is so much more impactful with, with imagery. Mm. Um, and I don't know I, I think I think that just being yourself and showing yourself is the best type of artist <laughs> so that's what I would tell a, a young artist That it, it's kind of stupid just like be yourself but
0: yeah no I love that yeah. <laughs> yeah no find what is you I think that's really good advice and I think that that's how like you can uphold no matter what you start and you do you'll be able to uphold that forever if you're sincere to yourself and you're doing and pulling right. from what is coming from you, then like, it's you forever. This is such a random question, but I I was watching a show the other day and I was thinking I got to ask Dave. And because it just like, I just looks like something that you would maybe see. And then you just made a comment about like, music with visuals is a whole nother level. And also watching shows that like, makes you think and feel and like step into something. Do you watch the show, Dave? I don't. Oh my gosh. Okay. You must yeah, I? Yes. Okay. It's yeah. it's uh like I don't we don't my partner and I are the same way like we're very specific about what we watch and like we stumbled upon this show Dave and it's on Hulu and like usually I've seen it around.
1: I yeah. just I have a hard time getting into it's a series, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. There's two seasons and like most things on Hulu is I mean it's not great and like series are hard but you have to watch Dave and I like, it's, there's a lot of actual musicians in there as well. Um, And yeah, I I just think he would enjoy it. But anyway, he he does very specific things with his music and like, he's like so weird and strange and off the wall. And like every episode I like shut it off and I'm like, what, like, it makes you feel like you need to like jump up and go do something creative. Um, Anyway.
1: I love that feeling. That was the feeling. that I got after I watched uh, Bo Burnham Inside. I thought yes. that was very, very inspirational. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I try not, like, unless a series is co-signed, uh, I'm from, like, the generation where we all watched Lost and then were <laughs> really let down. And I was like, fuck, this isn't, like, watching, like, a bad movie. Like, I just spent, like, 30 hours, you know, watching this thing not not that many hours but you know what i mean like when you get invested in some show that has all these seasons and all this stuff like they can lead you on forever and after a while you get this feeling like they're just in a boardroom like uh so what what happens this week (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, and i and i feel really duped by that so unless someone tells me hey you you gotta check out dave then i'll check it out but i (laughs) like the dry like i love mad men it's like my, one of my favorite shows, like The Crown. Mm. I, my dog's named Queen Elizabeth. i <laughs> watching The Crown.
0: Those are really good shows. This, Dave is not a dry show. It's definitely, uh, it's more of a comedy, but like it's very artistic and it's done so well. And like, it is like really, really baffling and mind blowing at certain points. You know, so it's it's Little Dicky. Like it's, it's about like the comedian and rapper. Like it's very- oh. Yeah, like Little Dickies in it, Gata, like very specific people that are doing things in in the real world too, like real life people. So oh,
1: nice.
0: yeah, they bring a lot of like real life, worldly things from the rap industry and, and the comedian world into the show. And I think you can see that. I think like the people playing these actors are like kind of also playing themselves and they like have their hands on the production of it and they decide a lot of like what is said and done. Uh, so oh, nice. yeah. Anyway, um, that
1: yeah, I mean, I, it's better now that I can be like, you know, I was told that I should check out this show to my family. They're like, "You guys want to watch Dave?" <laughs> uh, so I just finished my all me album of me, me, me acting the whole time. <laughs> you
0: guys want to watch Dave? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so good. All right, I feel like. Uh, we're gonna close it out, and we'll end on. I want to end on a higher note. What's the most? What's something that you're the most proud of that you like go want to go down in history for?
1: Um,
0: it can be anything. I, it doesn't even have you know, to be it's music. Like,
1: it's whatever I'm I'm working on right now is what I'm the most proud of. I, love I feel that. like um, like whenever uh, I do something it's a personal like landmark and achievement for myself. And like, I don't like to look back. So I want whatever I'm doing right now to be the thing that I'm known for uh, forever. But I do have this idea speaking of, you know if you're gonna get into the, the legacy and all that stuff, yeah. I'm uh, beginning work on an al- well, a series of albums called Beyond the Grave. Mm -hmm. Uh, which are to be released in succession every year after I pass away. What? Albums in my will. What? So so I can be prepared, you know? I mean, I feel like, you know, Biggie and Tupac might have had some premonitions and maybe recorded some stuff for this, but I'm going to try to record. My goal is to make 10 albums so I can live like a decade after I die.
0: Stop. (laughs) my entire body just like did something like that's fucking wild i love that
1: yeah that's a it's like a mix between like the horror (laughs) podcast in my my life and my career like that's like that's an idea that i've been wanting to do i've been wanting to just do stuff that's um you know i talk about timeless all the time trying to be timeless trying to not um like if you look my my new album cover uh is was taken in 1981 Mm. and I kind of have, like, the same style that I did in 1981, so I'm, like, trying to keep this as consistent as possible, you know Mm. what I mean?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, wow, I'm gonna be thinking about this for days, that's, like, (laughs) that's really rad, That's that's pretty incredible, wow, well, on that note, Cause I feel like everyone listening is going to go, whoa, holy shit. That's
1: dark. That's, dark. That's morbid. It's, yeah, <laughs> but it's like, I have
0: so many questions and now I can't lead us into another hour. So we have to like stop now before I go on like this whole thing. Um, <laughs> Cause I'll like perseverate on all of these questions I have about like how you came up with that and like, what's going to look like and sound like and all these things. So well, it was the
1: next, it was the next step after the, the, album about getting older but mm. I've been here a while and then I was like well I can't do that yet though that's like too soon so I kind of wish I'd been making these uh like these era albums and these like lifetime albums like all along or, or maybe I have been but I don't know but you know what I mean it's kind of cool to like think of the progression of your maturity and the music you approach so I mean um, that's like the whole concept for everything I do now
0: what is that gonna feel like when you like go to specifically write and record a song that you like know it's not gonna come out until like you're gone?
1: The Dementia album is gonna be wild. <laughs> what the?
0: Whoa, like how are you gonna, like in your mind and your thought process, like how are you gonna, like what are you saying to yourself in those moments? Like, are do you just like detach from like the thought of the after so that you can be as present as possible?
1: Oh, I can tell, well, I'll tell you the first line. Of okay. the first song from Beyond the Grave. This is a big, I'm leaking this big. This is like Whoa. years from now. Okay. The first line is Well, this is embarrassing. Give <laughs> me <laughs> a good way to start, right?
0: <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, it could mean so many things. <laughs> Well, I feel so special that that was just leaked on the Doers and Shakers (laughs) podcast. Oh my God. Um, All right, Dave, this has been something else. I'm so stoked. I cannot wait to publish this and get this up live for everyone to listen. And I appreciate all of your words and all of your your presence here with me and sharing this space. Uh, It's been great. Well, thanks
1: for listening close to my music. I could tell that you really dug in. And, uh, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and, uh, I'll see you out there. All right. Take care. Take care. Well, there you have it. That was pretty exciting. I'm wildly inspired after that. I feel like I'm supposed to get up now and do something out of the normal realm of my Wednesday at two o'clock. Uh, Something inspiring and creative. Thanks so much. Shout out to Dave Gutter for hanging out with us today and sharing the love and telling us about all of the incredible things that you have done and that you will be doing. I am personally so intrigued by all of the things that you will produce and out into the world for all of us to grasp onto september 13th cannot come soon enough i cannot wait to get my hands on your album i've been here a while go ahead and check out dave gutter on instagram click the link in his bio and grab your copy on the 13th (sighs) that was amazing If you are wanting to hop on my next hang session, send me a message. Let's see what you got. Let's talk about some things. I'm always about bringing on new people onto the podcast, whether you are in the creative realm or in the business world, let's have a chat and see how we can inspire one another and ignite the fire as doers and shakers in this space. As always, thanks for the love and I appreciate the support. Take a screenshot if you enjoy this episode. Tag Doers and Shakers on Instagram, doers.and.shakers, and gutter, tag Dave Gutter. Let us know what you thought. Take care and be well.